Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 39, and I'm joined by my pal, Paul Amos, who you probably know from shows like Lost Girl or Murdoch Mysteries. He's also one of the player characters in Assassin's Creed Syndicate, and you might recognize him from my film, Sex After Kids. And we're going to sit down... And watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch The Great Dictator. I'm Jeremy. I have never seen the movie. I've never seen the movie. And this is Paul Amos. So why haven't you seen The Great Dictator? <clears throat> are, you, are you a Chaplin fan at all? I was never a Chaplin fan. Like, uh, I don't know. I just didn't get it for a long time. I mean, there's a lot of physical comedy that I guess early on I didn't get. Right. In my career, especially as an actor, like a young actor... I like lots of people talking. I like lots of people doing bold things. I know Chaplin just, it was all physical and I didn't get that at all. Well, the beauty of this one is this one is as talky, right? This one is, but yeah. a lot of his other stuff like wasn't, right? It's no, like the earlier early stuff. doors, right? No, exactly. Um, yeah, this is his full uh, sync film. His first, his first full sync film, I believe. Oh, um, really? and, it was, and he had to finance it all himself. It was, which was partly, I think it was part content. I think nobody wanted to touch it. Because at the time when he was starting to go into production, it was 1936, 37, 38, around there. It came out in 1940. And it took a year and a half to shoot. It had something like 562 production days. Insane amount of production days. He, he bankrolled the entire thing out of his pocket. How is that even possible? <laughs> right? 500. Yeah. It was over 500, that I know. Um, yeah, bankrolled the entire thing out of his own pocket because none of the studios wanted to do it. Um, because when they started, um, you know, the, the the war was just kicking in. Like, nobody knew about the horrors of the Holocaust just yet, right? And, and Chaplin said later on that had he known what people knew afterwards, he probably never would have made the film or made it in such a way. Hmm. Uh, well, we can discuss that after we've seen it, because I, I don't know the context of that comment. Uh, but I know, like, the, the British government was not behind the film at all when he was going into production. Mm-hmm. But by the time it came out, they were rah rah rahing it. Because when, when it was first starting up, the British were, were on the side of, let's not poke the bear too much. Hmm. Uh, but then, two or three years later, when it was ready to come out, the, everything had changed. Yeah, well, it was a very fickle time for everybody, right? I mean, yeah. we just had the First World War. And um, politically, especially in Europe, yeah, it would have been difficult. Huh, interesting. I, yeah, I had no idea of any of that context. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, because it's funny when you think about when you watch a movie like this that's, you know, 80 years old at this point. Uh, it was It was being made during the war. It wasn't like, you know, someone making Schindler's List... 30, 40, 50 years later, mm-hmm. uh, observing it from, from a distance. Like, this is making a commentary on something that's happening right then and right in the thick of it. But, it's like somebody making a movie about Trump right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, 
Yeah, that's the easiest comparison, and mm-hmm. and what makes the film probably as current as it could possibly be again. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you know about the film other than? I only know the speech, really. Yeah. The, I mean, the speech is brilliant, right? We've all seen the speech. I only all I know about it. Um, I remember like the the Robert Downey Jr. Chaplin biopic. Yeah, I watched that. I didn't enjoy that. It was okay. I, I saw one as a kid, and I liked it enough because I was kind of interested in Chaplin. But I never, I still hadn't seen a Chaplin film. Yeah, it was very boring. I thought. Was, and I'm sure, like, it was Attenborough, right? Was it? Yeah, Richard Attenborough directed it. Yeah. Yeah, I found it very tedious. Yeah, and I'm sure it's also very uh, whitewashed too, in terms of, you know, his past is not the most. Uh, what's the word? <laughs> the nicest way to say it. Clean. You know, he. I think in, in today's terms, he'd be seen as a pedophile, potentially. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not potentially, uh, for sure. You know, he had a, a predilection for getting younger girls pregnant and then being forced to marry them or go to jail. And because he was one of the richest men in show business. That's what rich people do. That's what rich people do. Um, anyway. That's another debate. That's another debate and another conversation. That's another movie. They do touch on it in that movie, I do remember, but but it's never... A hush hush thing it's more of it's just interesting they kind of glaze over it in mm. a way that doesn't really condemn him yeah I can't remember I don't remember that movie much I just remember that I pirated it <laughs> when would you pirate it that movie came out in the early 90s didn't it I used to pirate movies way back then <laughs> Shh. oh it's too late this is all <laughs> yeah with VHS's VHS to VHS Oh, I used to, we, oh, when you rent it and then you just copy yeah, it? And then oh, copy yeah, we, it. yeah, we never go to the movies. Was that still it. considered pirating? Yeah, for sure. My uncle would do that, and he had a library of just... Because he would always record them on the slowest thing, too, so you could fit three movies on a, on a VHS. Oh, so the quality... Oh, the quality was, was terrible. Oh, my God. Uh, so I would I, never do that. I would grow up... I grew up down the street from him, and I'd just go over to his place, and I'd borrow these VHS tapes... But what was amazing about it, and I think it speaks to just how I like every genre of film, is that there was no, it wasn't like he put all three Back to the Future on one tape. It was whatever he rented that weekend. So there could be like a romantic comedy on there, and then a horror film, and then a period drama. All on the same tape. And so yeah. I would just borrow a tape at a time and watch the whole tape. So he was just copying them when they came out, so he, he wasn't like ordered about it. No, he would just, whatever he rented that yeah, weekend, right. he would just make a copy of it. Because if he did like the trilogy, then it's just ordered, right? They all came out at different times. No, it wouldn't be like, it wasn't like no, that at no. all. I wasn't like that either. We used to actually rent them out at school. We had a little business. <laughs> we didn't, it wasn't quite like that for and me. And there were some companies that actually, you know, stopped you pirating. That things would happen, little lines would run across. Oh, and the technology yeah, there advanced. There were certain studios that yeah didn't do it. Had figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All I remember too was that if you wanted to, if I just wanted to watch one of the movies on these tapes, and it was in the middle, I'd have to somehow try to figure out where it was without ruining another part of another movie. Oh, by seeing like or stopping too far in, so now I'm ten minutes in the movie. Oh, you know, so that was that yeah, was, that was part of my nerdy childhood of. <laughs> Of these tapes. You used to have to look at the thickness of the reel, right? And you go, I think it's there. We used to like put a little, like, oh, marks yeah. in them. Yeah, when that's, it finished. That's so funny. Oh, that's smart, like a little grease pencil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not- around about here, right? Because you could see, you could look down and see the VHS. Oh, see, I should have done that after I'd watched these movies. That, yeah. would, that would have been a smarter way to do it. Until, you know, the new ones came out and you put the VHS and you couldn't see it anymore. It goes down. Yeah. We used to have the old ones. And we had a Betamax. Did you have a Betamax as well? 
No. We might have rented one from the video store before we got our own VCR, but we never owned a Betamax. Yeah, we had a Betamax. Shitty selection of movies. Higher yeah. quality. Yeah. Have you seen any other Chaplin films, though? Despite... Not no, being a no. I do nothing. So this is your first Chaplin film this at all. Is, I'm Chaplin Lus. Ah, interesting. That was the thing. I was like, oh, okay. Well, let's see what it's all about. Okay, great. Well, I've seen some of the other ones, but I have not seen this one. Okay. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Two hours and five minutes of black and white. <laughs> Monochrome. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we just finished. And? And, wow, it's, it's interesting going back in time, like far back. Yeah. Um, and you went on an interesting journey just from the beginning, because I remember you, just from the beginning when it starts off at the end of World War I, you know, you made a comment about how kind of simplistic the comedy is and how, or how broad it is or something about that. Yeah, I mean, it's like that, I don't know whether it was the lowest common, common, common denominator or whether that was like highbrow for the time in terms of comedy. So it's, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that was it, right? That was what comedy is en masse. That was, I don't know, what would the equivalent of that be? It was Jim Carrey at one point. Is it like the Seth Rogen comedy now? What is it? Like, Sasha Barry Cohen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... Well, well, Chaplin that was interesting, especially with this movie in particular. I think you and you were asking too if this was kind of uh, part and parcel for his type of films. Uh, I definitely think that this this film was him pushing it as far as he ever had. But he was always kind of the voice of the people and talking and, and you know using his films to be able to talk about a social message to some extent. Um, where was I going with this? But yeah. but I think um, in terms of a comparison to today, or, or just what kind of comedy? I mean, I think he did what you do is is you know you you could easily tell uh, a, a very serious movie about the war and about what was going on at the time. Uh, but I think Chaplin always realized uh, there was power in comedy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and the spoonful of sugar aspect of it all. Yeah, the, and the juxtaposition of you know. Actually, what's happening—the seriousness, and then you know the slapstick and the rest of it—and you know these buffoon-like characters that you know they create. Yeah, because um, that's what we were talking about. You you were kind of baffled as we were, as it kept on going, but just how he made this film, you know, during the war. The war was still going on when it was released. Well, it was probably only just started, right? If it was yeah. made in thirty-six. Well, it released in in forty. In forty. So, so I mean, if it took him probably two to three years to put that together right yeah so it's it's pretty amazing that the movie came out just as the war was starting and a good few years before actually you know what happened to you know the jewish people with the holocaust you know really came to light so it's amazing how he could see what was happening and he wanted to let the people know yeah about the persecution Mm -hmm. um and the per- persecution hadn't been, you know, that prevalent, right? It's like... No, they had known that the, you know, they, they were down on the Jews uh, and, they were, and they were trying to create, you know, the super race of people and trying to cleanse as it were. But that was just the beginning of it. 
Um, but for Chaplin to take on that subject matter, it was like, I mean, if you're one of the biggest stars he's in the, the world. At this point in time, he's probably the biggest star in the world. And then you take on this subject matter. It's, I mean, it's a really serious subject matter. You're taking on what is a dictator who's essentially going to try and take over the world at one point with a master race. And at this point, they don't know if he's going to succeed or not. And persecution of, of a race of people. Like, yeah. it's, they're pretty they're as, as serious as they get. Yeah, and Chaplin, nobody wanted to make this movie. None of the studios were, were willing to do it. He, he spent all of his own money on it. And who, who, so he wrote the script, he directed it. And Which is common, he, he always wrote and directed his own stuff. But still, my God, the amount of takes, man. Yeah. To get that stick down. Like, I, I, I would have been fascinating to see the process. To when he, when he got to the point where he was happy with it. Yeah. You know? Well, and because and there's no playback back then. You know, the playback doesn't come into play until uh, Jerry Lewis created playback. Right? Wow. Uh, and that's in the... 50s or 60s yes, yes. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite a ways away so you got to imagine that he just did and got to a point where he felt good about it but then would have probably just done a couple extra takes just in case some safety takes and then it would have been the next day he would have got the rushes back or two I don't, I don't know how long it took to get rushes Crazy, back especially then. if your money's on it right you put all your money into yeah. this thing so I imagine he's got all of these sets sitting around and, mm. oh shit, you know what? We actually didn't get it. We're doing it again. We're doing it again, yeah. So I bet you a lot of that Production stuff... Production days was going back to do it again as well. Yeah. Bits that he didn't get right. Yeah, but I mean, from doing theater, I guess when you have something down, you know it. And Certain it, things, like I think, like there's that great sequence that doesn't really have anything to do with the movie. With the... With the, the barber... Oh, the barber sequence, yeah. When he's yeah. doing the... To the... To, um, to the overture to the music, yeah. Right. But that's easy enough because he would have known if his timing was off if he's got musical playback. I can't imagine he memorized the music... No. And did it with that. There's, there's no way. There's they no, must have played it. Yeah, that would be a next-level genius. But a lot of the shtick takes, I mean, they're kind of theatrical, right? He's just got the... You know, he's the camera. It's pretty... It's like a cross-art stage, really. Yeah. It's like what digital series are now. Well, Which that's is really what, interesting to watch that now. I'm like, oh my word, I just did a digital series. And um, it's essentially like a, a FaceTime uh, video. And right. you have to act within it. So it's very theatrical. It's almost like the worst parts of theater and the worst parts of film put together. Well, because he, he came in to play right, I mean, during the silent era, right? And so what, at the what, very beginning. At yeah. the very beginning. And, and the other, well, he was one of those artists that this movie in particular transcended that right because uh, he was part of the the non-talkies and then this is just getting into the talkies and so what happened just in cinema when sound came in was that cinema took a step backwards because now you can't just put a camera wherever you want because these things are fucking loud mm-hmm. right and so um, when they first started recording audio they had to have the camera in a separate room and shooting through a glass plate because wow. it was too loud to record sound from the actors. So things were shot more like plays. Right? And they're also recorded onto these discs. Like these, they're actually etched into almost like a record. Hmm. The way audio was initially recorded. You know? Wow. So cinema, you know, it was progressing along 
as a visual medium and then instantly took a step backwards when sound sound came into play. play. Mm. Uh, And so you're having to shoot certain things in longer takes. I think by the time this movie came along, they had figured out sound a bit better because the cinematography in this movie, for the time, is not bad. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. I was pointing this out when we did the digital series that uh, it's funny, you get more advanced, the technology, then all of a sudden you have to go right back to the beginning. So it was like doing the digital series, like going back to the very beginning of like the basics of theater, the very basics of film, because you've just got one setup. And when you stack the camera hard, you know, with like four or five different actors it becomes really interesting where the focus is. And, you know, watching this is like somebody at the pinnacle of that game, right? Yeah. It knows exactly how to do those one setups, knows exactly where the focus is. Yeah, knows exactly how to stage things. Yeah, stage, yeah. So, I mean, this, this is a master at work, right, at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's refined his craft by this point. Like, this is a closer, not the end of his career, but this is late stage Chaplin. Oh yeah, I mean to even take on this subject matter, you must you know you've you've gone out with a bang, right? You're having a crack at dictators and yeah, and Europe and the way everything was being run. I, I don't know if it's an actual quote or if they just did it for the movie, but that the Chaplin biopic. I, I remember that one. There's one great line where uh, no, you know, because this is he had technically ret- retired the character of the tramp. He says that this is not the tramp as the right. as the barber in this movie. Um, but there's a line in that Chaplin Robert Downey Jr. biopic where someone says, "If you if you make this movie, you'll kill." You know, the moment the tramp speaks, he's dead. Hmm. And he says, "Well, if I'm going to kill him. He might as well die saying something in I believe in." Well, yeah, and he has a pretty good speech at the end of it. Yeah, which which was the last minute edition. Really, which was not originally part. I think they well, I don't know if it was last minute, but it wasn't originally part of the the plan. And uh, his benefactors were like, don't, not his benefactors, but people that were involved in it said, don't do that. It'll ruin the movie. Wow. But that's one of the more famous parts of the movie. Yeah. And that's the message it leaves you with, right? Roosevelt, at one point he was, he was considering giving up on the movie because he was getting more and more nervous about Hitler and the things he was hearing and all that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and there's a story that Roosevelt actually sent someone from the White House to encourage him to continue oh wow and that it was important and that it needed to be done yeah to send that message out to people yeah Yeah. Uh, and it's another I mean it's a high form of propaganda at that point and they were all fighting a propaganda war to a certain extent so all sides yeah putting Chaplin out there front and center you know makes sense really Mm -hmm. yeah and there's um so of course the movie was banned in Germany, as you can imagine, and any other country that was an ally of, of the Nazis. But there's uh, but there's uh, a story that uh, Hitler, even though he had had the movie outlawed and banned, had a copy smuggled into him through Poland, and he screened the movie twice. I bet he was a massive Chaplin fan. <laughs> he might have been. I and bet he was. And Chaplin... I mean, he based himself on the tramp, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but Chaplin is, is, is said to have said that he would have given his entire fortune to know what Hitler thought of the movie. Oh, I bet he loved it. <laughs> I bet he loved it. I mean, he watched it more than twice. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Did everyone gather just, around. He just didn't like that bit at the end. Uh, yeah. No, but Chaplin was obsessed with him. He studied him. He considered Adolf Hitler one of the greatest actors 
of that time, just for the speeches. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Hitler's still fascinating today. But yeah. Tr- I mean, Trump as well. I mean, you know, they fall into the same thing, right? I mean, yeah. Trump is fascinating. Yeah. And Hitler and um, Chaplin are born four days apart. And the mustache. And the mustache. Yeah. The mustache. Well, I think part of that, I think part of it came from that. I think at some point someone told him that you guys look similar. And I think that was one of the things that planted the seed hmm. for him to play that type of character. I wonder if he had to, like a dictator style on set. I wonder if he was like, you know, because he wrote, directed, he did everything, right? So yeah. he, he took, took control of everything. Yeah. He probably had a certain affinity with the idea of, oh, no, I can't say it to you. Yeah. But it's interesting because he plays like the mm. Tramp-esque character is so meek and so gentle. But he controls everything. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. The Tramp is, is everything, like every scene. Yeah, every moment is the closest I was thinking about it and I wonder if it came out when that movie came out two or three years ago now is uh, that Seth Rogen the interview the movie about Kim Jong-il oh yeah yeah, probably the closest to this Hmm. in terms of like a direct comparison yeah where you're talking about somebody while that's going on and and they weren't even masking it They they weren't saying that this is the guy of this Double cross. What's the name of the ta- what's the name of the country or the the made up country? It's like Tans- Tasmania, but not not something like that. That was a bizarre movie. The interview. Yeah, I couldn't. I didn't know what to make of that at all. It was one of those movies. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I I was glad I saw it. Yeah, I just couldn't get where it was coming from. It was like I mean, because it was a big statement, right? And North Korea is you know, a, a tricky thing to deal with in terms of subject matter for Americans and on the on the national stage. So it was weird that they should have a crack at that one. I don't know what they were gleaning by it or what they were... That's probably the similar inspiration that Chaplin had for this and that it's like, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about these things or to send them up, you know? Comedy... If you mock the devil, he'll flee from you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't be scared of these kind of things. And comedy has power. You know, and, and Chaplin knew that better than anybody because he was, you know, the most famous person in the world and that and he was a comedian. Hmm. You know? More so than, you know, the Fairbanks who who died during the production of this. Uh, I read somewhere that Douglas Fairbanks came and visited Chaplin on set and enjoyed the day, waved goodbye and was dead within a week. Well, you tell Chaplin had like uh, he liked the dramatic too, though, right? I mean, at the very end, there uh, he gets his big dramatic moment finally. That big speech, that big speech. That's a five-minute monologue. I bet he, I bet he was a moody bastard to live with. If you ever watch it again, he does not blink during that speech. For no, much. I know he stares straight at the freaking <laughs> camera. It's hard. It's it's a hard stare. Yeah. No, I don't think he was an easy person to live with. I can't no, imagine. I think he was probably very. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even the style of comedy, right? It's tough when you're making people laugh like that. Well, and very specific, and everything's very precise. Like, there's like one small moment where he dives into that chest, 
And you have to imagine that chest was built specifically for him. Yeah. It wasn't like he found a chest and figured I'd get into it. It was probably like, these are the dimensions. It's got to be this wide, this tall, this deep. Mm-hmm. He's the ultimate clown, right? It's like a very sad, probably, life. And then making people laugh. And making people laugh by doing what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. probably very lonely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether I'd want to make my money just by doing that, right? You know when you fall, start to fall into that a little bit and you get the shtick going on as an actor and it just feels like, oh my God, people just want me to do the shtick. Which is probably another impetus for a movie like this. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I've got the power, I've got the money, I don't need someone else to finance it. Let's I'm going to just... kill the shtick. I'm going to kill the tramp. Yeah. In front of you and do a bigger movie. Which is probably, you know, which is what he did. Yeah, but it was his, it was his biggest movie, his biggest box office hit. Yeah, it was an interest. It's, I, I was fascinated, surprised um, that A, he created a movie like this, that he was so nuanced sometimes in terms of the political satire with the shtick, which a lot of people don't do. No. You know, I, people don't do that much anymore. I mean, it's like Benny Hill was one of the last people, along with like, and then Jim Carrey is the last person I can think that really did full out shtick. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, well, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. But Sa- yeah, Sasha, but it, it's more his characters, right? And his dictator was like a million billion miles away from that. Yes. So they had no like. Oh yeah, he did do Political that. satire at all. He's just. Yeah. No, his just taking a piss. Yeah. But without any kind of... Like, Chapman at least, as, as, as you know, sap, you could say it's sappy and cheesy and on the nose, but, you know, that speech at the end is pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't think that way, probably not so much. No, exactly, exactly. What happened to the dictator before... Like, like we don't see him again. What happened to them in the previous thing? Him and Mussolini or fight had in that fight in they the mess that hall. whole thing, and that's it. And yeah, then, and okay. And kind of vanished. I didn't miss The two anything. of them kind of just vanished, and then all of a sudden he gets mistaken for him. Yeah. Because they escaped from the camp, and then... You, you like the Mussolini character. I thought you, I thought he was fun. I, I, I mean, I was, it's tough, right? You're both playing major dictators, and you've got to, like, confront Chaplin. I thought he did a funny deal of, like, doing the archetypal Italian... And then throwing in a gangster in the middle of it, right? Well, especially because you've got like because the whole point of their relationship is who's the who's got the bigger dick. Yeah, Mussolini had like a he had a complex in real life about being short, right? So they, you know they played on that a lot. It was fun, right? I thought he was. I thought he did a good job. I mean, as much as you could do up against Chaplin. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. can't be easy, man. No, he was great that actor. Uh, they they get that that bit, the short chair. <laughs> He's trying to make himself comfortable. He's like, no, I can't do it. In the fucking barber shop, which must have cost like a fortune. Oh, those those, those chairs. Those chairs back in the day, <laughs> along with those big like death planet destroyers. Yeah. Oh, that thing at the very top of the movie. Yeah, that big black gun. Yeah, black gun. Yeah, in the opening scene, we were looking at each other, and, that, and that's the beauty of when you watch something like that in a movie like this. That's now eight years old. Like they built that. There's no CGI. You know, when you see uh, a crowd full of a couple hundred people, that's a couple hundred people. Oh, you're, yeah. you're not digitally putting people there in. There was like four of Chaplin's kids' education funds put into building that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Ill- illegitimate ones that he should have paid the payments for, but he didn't because he built a big black gun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. 
There's a there's another fun story about him that he once entered a Charlie Chaplin look like contest <laughs> and got third place. <laughs> uh, what if I entered a Paul Amos contest where I'd get third place? Yeah, maybe. I just love the idea that I love the idea that it's like something, something actually authentic people can't recognize. You know, there's the there's the thing you have in your head of what they look like in real yeah. life. Real life is always different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The camera does a lot. So you're remaking this today with Trump, obviously. Although, I mean, it, it is kind of already being done with... It's more in sketch and stuff like Saturday Night Live. There's so many people that have played him. Like Baldwin plays him. Johnny Depp did that. Yeah. I think now it gets... I don't know. Now it's very complicated, right? It's so many things are are in the mix now. It's I can see how it was a little easier to do back then. There was a bit more simplicity about what we all understood. I mean, yeah. but that's con- that's hindsight and context. But everything is so wrapped up in so many different things right now that you, it's hard to just have a crack at Trump anymore. You know. Well, no, you'd have to really. You'd have to have someone from the deep inside give you something that we don't already have. You know, because everyone lampoons the stuff that's in the news that we all are already aware of. But as you're saying, watching this, it's like, you know, Chaplin's digging into stuff about what was going on then that kind of probably wasn't super well known hmm. everywhere. Or we assume, I don't know. I don't, I, I, the timeline for me is a bit fuzzy. And, and yeah, when, not everybody, right? But I, I guess this took it out to the masses. You know, this meant that, you know, they were being told something. Not all the masses were in, probably, or were politically savvy, right? It's, uh, now, thinking about it, it's a big propaganda exercise, possibly. Yeah. N- now I come to think of it. I'm well, it's also to say his, you know, Chaplin was uh, a comedian of the masses. People wanted to see his film just because it was a Chaplin film. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was using that political power he had for his, you know, to... There may have been other money behind put in put into that movie as well from a, another class of people for sure. I mean, it couldn't have just been all his like he couldn't have taken the rumor. He paid for it all uh, out of pocket. That's a good story. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's just what I've. That's but it was I a propaganda war. It, not yeah. But at the time when he started, you got to remember. It's like at the time there was a very real worry that we're not going to make it. Hmm. You know that that they could win. So I think everyone was hedging their bets. Hmm. closer to the beginning no one wanted to rock the boat no one you know Hitler wasn't full swing you ha- you haven't created the the allies yet so everyone's just kind of staying back going let's not poke this bear just yet hmm. but once it turned it turned hard and then all of a sudden yeah now they want the propaganda now they want everything else but when he started off so maybe yeah maybe one of the studios got involved later on hmm. but he he paid for it into the can for sure Hmm. Yeah, I'd like to know more about this film now. Yeah. <laughs> now I've seen it. I now, want, I, now I want to know exactly what happened. It does make me want to rewatch that Attenborough biopic, although I'm not uh, sure how accurate it is. He was a little turgid. Yeah, I'm definitely going to dive into the bonus features on this, on the Criterion disc. Yeah. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff. There, there's lots of stuff on, on the internet, I'm sure you could look up. And, yeah, and I didn't look at anything. I thought I'd come blind, so... No, that's good. That's, that's, that's and now, now I'd like to you know, know a little bit more, which is means that the movie did its job. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I think and for and for being two hours long and black and white and, and being the way it is, like I, I didn't find myself bored. I found it starting to meander on a bit near the end. Yeah, they had a little there was a little I think when that fight was happening between Napolini, it was just getting a bit too much of all of that. Yeah. Oh well, that that's typical. It's just like everything just goes on a bit too, too long. long and I was like, I don't know how much more of that this this I can take. Yeah. And then, you know, it ended. So no, it's like you could, you could have condensed pretty much every sequence by about 10, 15%. I, I, yeah, something's going to be left on the floor. Yeah. Like, you know, the guy with the poo emoji on his head. And, <laughs> oh, and the guy with the bulletproof, like, what? Oh, that whole sequence was amazing. When, when I, that, but there was no third. I was expecting a third. But, it's true. The rule of thirds had not been established no, yet. No, there was the great, the great sequence when you first meet the dictator. And, he's, and you're just getting a sense of him filling every single moment of his time between going to like checking out weapons and development to then just going. my favorite was him every time he went out to that side room where there was the, the sculptor and the painter just, I know just sitting there waiting the classic French painter <laughs> yeah and he'd have he'd stand for five seconds and like I'm done, done. that's all I have <laughs> and it's just yeah it was fun uh, I love that kind of stuff production design's great yeah yeah, it, I mean, it was good for the time. And he clearly came out, you know, strong off the bat with the whole pyrotechnics and war scene and doing his, his shtick juxtaposed against, like, the war scenario. Yeah, and but then right in the middle of the movie, probably probably right in the middle of it, you've got that beautiful sequence with him and the, and the balloon globe. Yeah, you know? that's out there. That's not really played for laughs. It's just him... It's just out there. Yeah. It's just... It's pure... Genius, that one, right? Well, that's just what, but it's just getting a sense of like, this is, you know, of course, someone tells you you can be the emperor of the world. It's like, what's not to like about that? Mm. If you're already a dictator of a country and want and, and have these why kind of not have the world, yeah, why not have it? You could, it could be yours. I love that it was like an inflatable ball, though. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing was quite real. No, yeah, a beach ball. Yeah. So overall, thoughts? Uh, no, now, in hindsight, it's uh, it's got a lot more power. Um, I didn't really know anything other than the speech and that sequence with the ball. So it's interesting to see the speech in context of the movie as well. Now, knowing that it's not the Hitler character doing yeah, it. Yeah, you know, because I could never work that out. It was always like, How, isn't this about a big detective? What happens? Does he have like a full circle thing? Um, no. No, not at all. <laughs> it's but the barber. It was good to see it in context and, yeah, I have a lot more respect for Chaplin than I did coming in. Nice. Does it make you want to go back and look at some of his other stuff? Yeah, it makes, um, definitely makes me want to like know a little bit more about him um, and why he had fourteen kids. Um, <laughs> well, that's 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 the dark side of Chaplin that's the dark for sure. Side, but there's a dark side to everybody. Yeah, and you said in the middle of uh, of, of watching something about how interesting it would be to show this to teenagers. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see like kids or teenagers or like different generations how they respond to this movie I mean because I mean I you know I did a lot of my history GCSEs and A-levels in that period so I'm aware of it but I wonder how aware people are of that period of time World War One and World War Two, and you know because I understand it but if you don't understand it and then also the type of comedy that they're using um, 
is something that I, I was aware of, right? Yeah. Um, but it's not as prevalent now, so I wonder how it would play. No. Yeah, I've been meaning to, to show uh, Ephraim uh, a Chaplin film, like, like Gold Rush or one of the earlier ones, just to see how it would play. Yeah. He's got a bit more of a attention span than most kids do, though, so it'd be interesting. Or even like, I don't know if you ever watched like the old Jacques Tati movies. The Emhilo and those movies, no. very much like he's—he was almost like a French chaplain, right? Yeah, but I mean, they kind of developed bit. it, right? Yeah, yeah, the French clowning. Um, those those are fascinating movies, and I'm just starting to go through those as well because um, I've only seen them here or there. But yeah, it's kind of a lost art. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see. I'd love to see someone kind of take it on again, uh, uh, but how to modernize it. That's the problem. Well, the beauty is you have now, like, there's all these... I can just imagine what... Because you look at... There's that great sequence, too, at the beginning of the movie where... Uh, that I loved, and it was, make, it was killing me when they're in the plane upside down and they don't realize oh, they're upside they're, down. They're, they're, yeah, and the watch <laughs> and, and, and the water. water. Like, that's just a, just a brilliant gag where you have someone like Chaplin sitting back going, oh, I haven't seen this before. Mm-hmm. Where I just kind of think that if Chaplin was alive and operating today... With all the kind of tools we have, like CGI, and just rigging all that kind of stuff, like what he would get up, what that brain would translate to now. Yeah, if you, you know? can even do it with that stuff. Which, uh, what well, thinking of the like digital series, maybe that's where you go back to that style again. You know, it's you know because that's what it demands. It demands yeah. something. But he was at the forefront of technology. Like he was always pushing boundaries. So I, I don't think he would. I think he would embrace what we're doing now and what mm. exists now and the kind of tools that he has. It'd be interesting to see the kind of stuff he would come up with. Um, just given the way you know he could look at objects and items and just do things a little bit, and that's what made him unique, right? He thought he saw the world differently than anyone else. Yeah. yeah. Even that little sequence where he... But they're real setups, right? So you know that it's just him with the props and the actors, and that's what makes it. Oh, absolutely. But he could go, well, I can do this practically, then I can push even further this way. Yeah. You know, because the technology wasn't there. Those props, he created the technology. You know, you yeah. don't have a barber chair that goes up that high. You have to, he had to build that. Right, 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 right. You know? I see what you mean. So he would see it in, in that context. Mm. But even the simplicity, I mean, because he was great at the simple things, like even that great little scene where he shaves the woman. Mm-hmm. And they realize... Yeah, that's a fun scene. After a stroke or two, they both realize, oh, they're just... They're so enamored with each other. Yeah. They're not paying attention to... That they what, don't even notice, yeah. Yeah, which is a nice, endearing little moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I... Uh, it was nice to watch it with somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how far I would have got if I'd watched it on my own, which is a good, you know, it's good to watch with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Push you through. I might have, like, given up, like, three quarters way through it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But then I probably knew that the speech was coming, so I was pro- I would have waited. You would have pushed through. So I would have pushed through, and he got, he got you right at the end, so you have to push through. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, any other final thoughts? Uh, no, respect to Chaplin. Yeah, it's good. It's a good one. Being Chaplinless, now I'm Chaplined. I'm Chaplined. I, I, I have a little bit of him in me. Yeah. Yeah, it was Chaplinless. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, Chaplinless. Right. Thanks for coming on, babe. Awesome. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves. Thanks for joining us for The Great Dictator. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Lalon Jeremy and check out Facebook for Black Hole Films. Leave a review there or an Apple podcast or wherever it is you listen to this thing. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.